This is the Oil and Gas Startups Podcast, where we showcase emerging technology and the stories of industry founders, investors, and leaders with your hosts, Jake Corley and Colin McClelland. Let's get this started. What's going on, Digital Wildcatters? Welcome to another week of Oil and Gas Startups Podcast. We've got my friend Ahmad here with Clean Energy Services, VC Fuel. We are coming off the week of Fuse, and you actually uh, were one of the panelists on, you know, Chuck Chuck Yates wanted to live his dream and have a live podcast with a live audience. He won't shut up about it. Yeah, I've heard about it for two years, and so, all right, Chuck, we'll make it happen at Fuse. And so you were on that uh on that panel uh, with him, which was a really great uh, conversation. So first off, appreciate you uh, doing that. Why don't you tell us real quick about uh, what you're working on, what VC Fuel is, and we'll we'll dive into it. Great. Um, First of all, I should say you guys did an awesome job with Fuse. We need more events like that in Houston. They're they're either mostly oil and gas events or clean energy events, and you don't have any any that fuse yeah. <laughs> the two. Yeah. you guys did a great job of doing that you but. want to know some interesting so we run we always run a, a survey and operate within feedback loops and some of the interesting feedback that we got oil and gas people wanted more oil and gas content and renewables people wanted more oh, renewables really? content <laughs> so that's interesting yeah yeah i was yeah. like all right i see the bias there but overall got overwhelmingly positive feedback so appreciate you uh, um being there and being a part of it oh my pleasure i really enjoyed it um yeah, so to answer your question, uh, what, what I uh, do is I run a clean energy platform, and there are multiple elements of that platform. Um, the, the first is called VC Fuel, and that's a venture fund uh, where we uh, fund companies that are in early to mid stages of development. So either seed capital, you know, one to two million dollars, or Series A capital, five to 10 million. We like to have seats on the board, uh, but we'll look across all of energy transition. So everything from uh, you know, hydrogen to the, the big three of wind, solar, and storage to biofuels, and 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 it's a very broad mandate. Um, the second uh, major arm of what, of what uh, our platform is is called VC Infrastructure, and that is an venture capital firm. That's a company formation firm, and I'd like to call it kind of a, a, a corporate platform. Uh, development company. And so okay. what we actually do is when we when we see ideas that we like, but we can't find them in the venture world, we then go found a company um, and we own it ourselves and we grow it from scratch. And so kind of a, a venture studio type type model there yeah, where you almost, see you see an opportunity in the market and then you go stand up something to serve that. Exactly. I think I think the, the difference is in this case, um, we try to uh, start um, not as a seed company, but capitalize it pretty well from the beginning mm-hmm. so that you have a three to four year one runway um, from inception so that you can really focus on building the company and not on fundraising, which is what I find a lot of you know the venture back companies do. So yeah. Yeah. Um, so you guys have this concept and then do you usually have like a management team in mind or at least like a CEO in mind or is it? You guys are kind of the operators until you bring in that management. Like, how does that how does that work? Great question. So, so we start generally as uh, at, the, at the leadership level, CEO, chairman, um, but then quickly thereafter, we bring on prof- professional managers. And a lot of times, we've had those people in mind. Um, ideally, you'd be able to bring a whole integrated team, but usually mm-hmm. bring um, subject matter experts, um, functional experts from different areas, and the. 
first example of that um, is is a, a company that we founded called Clean Energy Services, um, and uh, it's to put it in, in oil field terms, it's it's literally just an oil OFS company for clean energy. So yeah. instead of servicing, um, you know, uh, uh, oil and gas, um, uh, uh, you know, completion services, for example. Uh, we service wind, solar, and storage, which are really the big three elements of. It's a pretty, energy. it's a pretty easy analogy to understand. Yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> He's like, all right, hello, I talk to these yeah. oil and gas guys. <laughs> Slumberjay oil fill services for yeah. renewables. No. And frankly, that was one of the easiest things to explain. You know, uh, to explain to investors in terms of companies that we've been involved in, because a lot of our investors are from Houston. They're from oil and gas. So they get the, the energy services analogy. Mm-hmm. Um, and the reason we, we uh, founded that company is we had a lot of entrepreneurs uh, coming to us inbound with that strategy, but there wasn't that much differentiated about them. They were smart, smart guys and, and, and women, and, and they, they, they had really interesting kind of takes on building an energy services firm. Um, but a lot of times they didn't know anything about clean energy. They came from oil and gas. So we wanted to kind of, to use your term, fuse the two, mm-hmm. bring some great people and services from the oil and gas world and from the clean energy world and found a company around that. So that's what we ended up doing. Um, we uh, started fundraising for that company in January of this year of 2022. And uh, we, we thought this this year would be really just a company building um, and company formation year where we build our skill sets um, make sure the team uh, is gelling well together and the customers would come um, in 2023. Um, but because, and we can talk about this later, but the phenomenon of, of, of the mismatch between supply and demand in terms of service providers and actual assets and clean energy has just got faster. So yeah. we, we got GE as a major customer. We've got the number one IPP as a major customer. So we're off and running. And I guess yeah. I, I give this one more airtime because yeah. I'm pretty passionate about what we're doing there right well, now. Well, let's dive into that and talk more about it. Um, you know, for someone like me, I grew up in oilfield services, so understand that analogy. Yeah. Perfect. Um, let's talk about the services that are involved in renewables because, you know, I've seen videos of, you know, cleaning service or solar panels. Um, you know, I've seen, uh, both manual processes, automated processes for those I've seen, uh, you know, servicing gearboxes on wind turbines. And so what do you guys actually do at clean energy services on the actual servicing? What, what services are offered? Yeah. So, uh, the, the three verticals are, are wind, uh, solar storage. We decided to start with wind because it just has the higher margins and, and the higher uh, barriers to entry. And, you know, you learn that same lesson from energy services. That you want to get into the areas where you can differentiate yourself. Mm-hmm. And on that, we actually do full wrap services. So we we have, we, we have cranes, um, which are not cheap. Yeah. <laughs> and we uh, have uh, up tower technicians. So people, to your point, who, who uh, uh, switch out or fix gearboxes, uh, do oil changes, and for customers like GE, we do everything um, full service menu, what, what, what they need and what um, uh, they require to both have preventive and corrective maintenance. Mm-hmm. Um, on storage, which I think is the kind of the, the most exciting area of, of the entire renewable industry because it's growing so fast. It changes the so game big. for everything else, too. And it's critical, right? It's the only one that get, makes uh, that can make renewables, as you guys know, baseload yeah. Uh, yeah. power. So. Yeah. That's just a rocket ship. There's there's so many um, new companies in the space. A lot of them Texas based, like Broad, you know, Broadreach and mm-hmm. Jupiter. Um, there are a lot of uh, uh, integrators who put all the uh, the pieces together. But what makes it even more complicated is there are a lot of different software providers that 
that um, integrate all these storage assets. Mm -hmm. And even more complicated is there are 20 plus battery providers, none of whom work together. So it, that's a dream for a services firm because someone, someone has to help service all these different layers of complexity um, within the storage space. Yeah. And as you might know, half of the uh, or more of the battery companies are Chinese. And yeah. a lot of the manuals that, that literally the manuals that, that, that our field guys get or that um, the you know integrators or other people get from the Chinese battery companies are in Mandarin. So, you know, they oh, use, wow. they they're use not Google Translate. No joke. It's like they're in wow. Mandarin. Yeah. Wow. So, yeah. And so, Google Translate's not very good when it uh, comes to technical uh, <laughs> technical translation. Uh, yeah. So but, any Mandarin speakers out there who like energy <laughs> services, please let, let us know. We need you. <laughs> exactly. I've actually, uh, I, I, I have a friend uh, that I placed at a previous startup in. Um, He's Chinese, so fully, he's a petroleum engineer. Um, you know, you guys should talk to him. <laughs> yeah, thanks. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll connect you guys after this. It's um, my one person I know that speaks Mandarin. <laughs> yeah, well, and the, the nexus of Mandarin yeah. and petroleum that's, engineer that's pretty, energy. Yeah. So, uh, no, that's super interesting. I mean, you know, like in OFS, what was, uh, this is kind of opening my eyes a little bit, especially on the battery storage side, because in OFS, what was really unique about it was that you had so many disciplines, right? And I mean, from water transfer, water hauling, nippling up services, BOPs. I mean, there were just all these little subsectors. And so when, you know, you kind of said it's like a dream for a service company because there's all these different services. You can be a, um, you know, an expert in one of them and build a company around it. And I was always thinking about renewables because to your point, you know, you had a lot of companies come pitch the idea, but. Um, seems a little bit commoditized, um, you know, low barrier to entry. Now I know there's a lot of capex, especially like with cranes and stuff yeah, like that. Yeah. But um, I was always like, you know, it, it just seems a little bit commoditized, servicing gearboxes and cleaning uh, yeah. uh, solar panels. But on the battery side, you know, I didn't know that that you know there's all these different layers uh, yeah. to energy storage, and now yeah. you guys can go, um, you know find a niche in there or be a full service platform. So that's actually something I wasn't aware of. Yeah, it's uh, it's, it's eye opening when you go out in the field and you see it. And, and the thing that's even more interesting is, is, is this has never been done before in the US to this level of complexity. So to your point, uh, generally services have low barriers to entry, but when you have no one who's ever done it before and you're a first mover, you can build some moats around it mm -hmm. and kind of back the wind and solar um, our, our, our philosophy across all three uh, verticals is it's very simple, best people, best technology. The way you built, build a moat, in my belief, and we'll, we'll see if we can prove this out over time, is by building and integrating technology into your solutions. And we're already starting to do that in the storage vertical. Mm -hmm. and, and the second thing, that the, the number one question I get from CEOs in the renewable space is, how, what's your talent pipeline? What are you doing? You know, how are you how are you going to secure teams that don't leave? Because right now they're getting poached left and right because the, the industry is so competitive and short people. Yeah. So I mean, in OFS, you'd leave for a dollar more an hour. You know, that was <laughs> yeah. just kind of, I was one of those guys. So I exactly. know how it goes. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so what we're doing on that, which I thought was a no brainer, but has, but has become, you know, a, hopefully a differentiator for us is, is we're uh, we're building our own talent pipeline and sponsoring. Um, job training, training, retraining programs. We have a partnership with Houston Community College. We have multiple veteran uh, veteran program partnerships. 
Yeah. And we're, we're, we're hoping to have kind of over 100 people kind of graduate from our training programs um, next year and yeah. probably double that the next year. Yeah. You know, what was always really interesting about Halliburton, for instance, Halliburton's uh, schooling and education was a mainstay um, for their for the company. And so, you know, my father-in-law, he worked at Halliburton for 40 years and, you know, he went graduated school, went through Halliburton, uh, you know, I don't know if it was mud school, drilling school, whatever yeah, yeah. it is, but they were always so good about building their pipeline and upskilling and education. And, um, you know, I have other things to say about them as an actual service company. Um, yeah. I think that there's better services out there, but you know, their, their tentacles run deep in people that were educated, um, by Halliburton. And so looking at this like vertically integrated mm -hmm. pipeline, I mean, one, I love that because I love that y'all have the opportunity to open up opportunities for other people and upskill people so that's it's a major differentiator because cool. yeah. it's something that's still so rare yeah particularly yeah, in, a, in the new market that you guys are in yeah so i want to know about your story because i know colin told me a little bit chuck told me a little bit i've probably forgotten more than i remember but really quickly before we get there for on the clean energy services side i think what helps me conceptualize things is like what does clean energy services want to be when it grows up does it want to be that halliburton on the, the clean energy side of the schlumberger do you guys want to go public do you want to just keep this private and run it like what what are what are y'all's ambitions our our goal and this is a very you know i, I like to set, set lofty goals is to be you know the the halliburton or schlumberger or or baker hughes of clean energy mm -hmm. um, and that's why i asked because i heard a little bit of your background and i figured that that was going to be the yeah, sense right so schlumberger is probably the closest analogy just because yeah. they have uh, such a great tech uh focus and we're trying yeah. to build that in from the beginning yeah um but that that yeah that's our north star I yeah. love it. I love yeah. it. Yeah, I always, you know, I was sitting down with a friend the other day that wants to start a drilling mud company. And he's just like, there's got to be a way to create a better drilling mud company that's built, you know, tech enabled from the beginning. And I was like, yes, across all service companies. And so if you build from scratch and really think about it from a tech perspective, um, there's a huge opportunity there. But yeah, let's get into your backstory a sure. little bit. Are you before, from Houston? Before, yeah. <laughs> no? Yeah, it's a kind of a complicated story, but I'll start. I'll start, start wherever start you want beginning. to. Yeah. So, yeah, so, so I was born in Kuwait. Okay. Um, uh, my mom's from Ohio and my dad's from Jordan. Okay. They, they met in Germany as exchange students. And uh, this story's all over the place <laughs> yeah. already. <laughs> yeah. Well, it gets even better. So their, their love affair was in German because neither one spoke the other one's language. So it was kind of, you can imagine meeting someone and, yeah. uh, yeah. you know, 20% yeah. proficiency in language. Such a violent language. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> violent. <laughs> it's not romantic yeah. at all. So, so they, uh, so then, and then when they got married, they came back to uh, Ohio, uh, got their MBAs from Miami, Ohio, and then moved to Kuwait. And that's how I ended up being born there. And that the reason Kuwait's important, um, it kind of in, in, in my background and, and influencing my, you know, future, you know, both educational kind of focus and career focus is I lived in a company, in a, in a, in a country um that at that time was 99 percent reliant on oil mm -hmm. right so uh, i have energy in my veins i mean that's all i saw growing up the oil fields were not far from where we lived yeah you know you just you just everyone worked in the industry the entire country was reliant on it or else it wouldn't exist frankly as a, as a country and yeah so, i mean it, it's just like growing up in the permian basin <laughs> exactly yeah. exactly exactly not to interrupt your story but i just heard an interesting fact about kuwait last week i didn't realize how small it was yeah uh, geographically, like you can drive across it in like two and a half or three hours. So I always imagine Kuwait just being a lot bigger place yeah. than it was, but it's probably about the size of the Permian Basin. It's, it's um, I think it's probably smaller. Yeah, it is smaller actually. The, 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 so the, uh, 
uh, to, to kind of jump from that, Qatar, where the World Cup is being hosted uh, in, in a month, is about a quarter the size of Kuwait. So these countries, and, and Qatar produces 20% of the world's LNG. Yeah, that's that crazy. That's so, so nuts. Just, just the density of yeah. energy production goes, there. And it goes to like 100,000 citizens. These aren't that many Qataris. Right? Yeah. So, I mean, you just do the math on that. It's yeah. It's pretty compelling. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, that's wild. But anyway, so I was, I was born there. And then, then at age of 10, my, um, uh, we moved actually to Ohio, to Cleveland, which is um, uh, where I went to middle school and high school and, and, and resulted in me being a huge Cleveland sports fan, which is a very sad place <laughs> yeah. to be, generally. <laughs> and uh, We were just talking about how small Cleveland is to have yeah, all these of, sports teams yeah. last yeah. week. This yeah. is weird how all this is coming together because I was, we just did an event up in Columbus uh, about a month ago. Yeah. And Columbus, great city. And I've been to Cleveland too. And, you know, I did a lot of oil field work around Southeastern Ohio, but I didn't realize how small the populations were in Cleveland and Cincinnati. And I'm like, not a lot of people there. And I was like, how do they even support a, uh, you know, this many sports teams and, um, you know, super passionate fan base though. And so, yeah, it's, uh, it's Cleveland's like the size of college station, which is nuts. Yeah. 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 Like it's, and it shouldn't, it, it shouldn't, if you base it on any metric, have yeah. three major teams. Yeah. Um, and, 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 uh, but, but because of that, for example, the, the Cavs have, I think, like the fourth or fifth largest following in the country because all the other small cities around it, Pittsburgh, Cincinnati, don't have NBA teams. So they actually yeah. cover Ohio and Oh, all they can actually draw. Yeah. They draw markets. Yeah. yeah. That makes That's sense. That's interesting. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, sorry, sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry, sorry. <laughs> so I moved to, let's see. Let's it's kind of what we do on this show. We just go on stage. So, so you so, yeah, uh, moved, moved to yeah. Ohio, um, went uh, middle school and high school there, um, and then I went to uh, uh, undergrad at college at Harvard, um, and I actually started focusing on energy economics there. And then I was a Rhodes Scholar, and I went to Oxford, and I did my master's in U.S.-Saudi relations and the economics of oil. So my my entire life, I've been pretty obsessed with the energy industry. And um, when I left grad school. Um, that, so, so I finished Oxford in 1998. Most of my friends were going to, to tech. And I just I said, I want to do oil and gas. And they just kind of looked at me, especially because I went to school in the Northeast where mm -hmm. oil and gas isn't a big deal. They're like, really? That's that's kind of contrarian and, and <laughs> yeah. weird considering the whole country's going yeah. to tech. So yeah. Dot com. Era, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that was a great area to do it. So, so I've and I've and I've been in it ever since my I, I, I would say, um, uh, Prior to, to, to uh, starting VC Fuel and, and the platform companies of, of the VC infrastructure like like CES, um, I, I my career would probably be split into two ha two halves. First was I was an entrepreneur, so I founded a uh, co-founded an energy software company um, that did uh, transaction and risk management for pipeline companies and um, in utilities. Uh, we grew that and ended up selling it um, at, a, at, a, at a good result for our investors. I then uh, founded a second company. This was kind of another geographic leap. Um, mm. I had uh, some some contacts in Brazil, and that was when um, renewable fuels. So this is kind of my my uh, my first kind of renewable experience. Um, were getting pretty interesting. So we started a Brazilian ethanol company. We actually uh, built an ethanol mill um, in a very remote province of Brazil called Mato Grosso do Sul, where I had to live for a year. Oh, wow. um, they had, they didn't have any, even, uh, it was all indigenous people. So you didn't really have any European Brazilians there. So it was yeah. really interesting, Yeah, but also, but also, you know, lonely at times. And so we, uh, we built, uh, uh, that mill and our, our goal at that point was, Hey, we'd love to consolidate part of the industry and have seven, eight, nine mills. But then Bush 
um, passed, that, which are very helpful, the, uh, these ethanol mandates that mm-hmm. cause a lot of capital to go to Brazil. And it just became too competitive cost of capital wise. So we just mm-hmm. took the mill and sold it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that's really interesting. Uh, you spent a year there and it sounds like it's really remote with indigenous people. And I, um, that's still a crazy concept to me. I've told, well, I told Jake, people in general. Yeah. I worked for a company and I was supposed to go work on, I was supposed to go run some expandable casing on this rig. And he told me where it's at. It's on the border of Brazil and Colombia. And it was a, like a two day boat ride down the Amazon to get to this rig. And I don't speak Portuguese. <laughs> and then you're sending me out. And one, I never even worked in an international job. So I'm not used to converting to metrics and I'm running tools That's down hole. Like it's kind of a big deal. <laughs> I just call it like this little like wooden raft and like arrows are getting shot at them. And yeah, I'm on this little boat going around some tools. So I can imagine that experience was, uh, I'm sure you have some good stories from that but um yeah so that's super interesting so you build this mill um all this capital comes in comes too competitive you guys just sell it flip it and what'd, then, you, what'd y'all do after that what'd you do after that yeah so, the, so that that was kind of the first phase i said the second phase of my career is i went into private equity mm-hmm. um and uh most uh, as a context most private equity people uh, come up through investment banking. So they work for, you know, whether it's Goldman what Sachs. Was, what was the motivation there to go from being an entrepreneur to doing your own thing to like, what drew you to private equity? I, I thought it would be interesting to um, buy and improve companies. Mm-hmm. And it generally where I was going to join. So I joined BlackRock, which was the biggest asset manager in the world. Yeah, small in the shop. World. Yeah. And then Morgan Stanley, <laughs> just the scale of what I was going to be able to do would be much bigger yeah and i just wanted to test that and and frankly um i i even though i spent a number of years in private equity i I, I enjoy the smaller scale more actually the company building scale but that was to test to uh, you know my ability and 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 interest in doing you know large deals and so i um all energy deals across both those so i I was so black blackrock i was head of private energy investing and at morgan stanley infrastructure i was also head of private energy investing and so those were my two private equity jobs, um, but really, it was a really interesting time to be there because when I when I uh, joined BlackRock, that's when Shell started taking off. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, my so my my public company counterpart, the head of public company investing at BlackRock, uh, was one of my mentors, Dan Rice, um, who I think you know not I think he had uh, I think something like ten out of eleven years he had the best investment tax record and i mean dan rice the rice brothers father though the og yes yes yeah yes. the dan rice yes yeah. the dan rice <laughs> and then and is uh, obviously his, his, his kids are great and they've they've made him very proud but he you know blackrock he was he was a man i mean the yeah. if you wanted to talk to anyone in energy blackrock um you know the literally the week i joined LA, he was in the boston office i was in new york i went to see him i was like you know teach me whatever you can and he told me, well, there's this little thing about to develop called the Marcellus that most people aren't talking about. And and so we kind of went from there, right? And then I ended up making um, uh, private investments while I was at BlackRock, um, uh, actually in, 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 the, in the Appalachian Basin, as well as in other areas of the country. Awesome. Um, and I also did one renewable investment um, in cellulosic ethanol, which we did, which did okay. It's still kind of a nascent field. Yeah. Um, so really interesting because one, you're a builder, you're an entrepreneur, you know, you've built companies, you go in the private equity world, get this experience doing these large projects. You know, you've been in renewables and oil and gas, and it doesn't really sound like, you know, those were um, bifurcated, like, like 
you were doing all of them yeah. <laughs> kind of kind yeah. of at one time right yeah. and so um which is just awesome because it's kind of a just pro energy mindset like you don't care what the energy source is whether it's ethanol whether it's oil and gas you were just uh doing things right um so that's actually really unique and interesting particularly at that point in time yeah like because it's still it's still not a very common when concept. you're at when you're at a uh, black rock you know you said you got there and shale starts taking off um what did you think about the opportunity for renewables you know from that time period of 2010 to you know I'll call it 2016 when there's just so much capital going towards shale i mean did you see a lot of opportunity to be investing in renewables or was it kind of just like hey capital's flowing to oil and gas that's that was the main focus we we, we still said i'm not uh, by no means uh, am i prescient but i but i thought uh, and I think this now on the opposite side, I, you know, just because all the money's flowing to one uh, source of energy, we, one thing we learned in this industry is we're, we're continually surprised by things that happen in terms of, you know, resource availability or geopolitics or things like that. Yeah. You know, we should still also build in the renewable side. And one of the things I'm, I'm proudest of at BlackRock is I um, was charged with recruiting a renewable power team to do wind solar uh, uh, acquisitions and developments into BlackRock. And um, it was a guy named Jim Barry from Ireland who had run a big uh, renewable uh, company. And he he came, we raised the first fund around him, three, uh, it was $300 million. Now I think they have like 20 billion under management. So he, he, yeah. they've done, yeah. so so just to give, but to your, to your point, um, back then it was hard to even raise $300 million wind and, and solar yeah. right yeah now it's like yeah. now it's really easy whereas yeah. in, in 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 shale it was much easier to raise much bigger fund sizes yeah so i've always been an all of the above person i mean i yeah. I, I, I my first experience was oil the reason i studied a lot about oil in undergrad and grad school is it still is the dominant kind of commodity in the world right it's still the dominant source of energy along with that gas yeah and to me it was intriguing to uh, to, to try to understand which until today is hard to figure out u.s saudi dynamics and how politics interplays into how we deal with opec mm-hmm. uh, but i also thought that it, there, there are these renewable energy sources that are uh, growing pretty fast in certain areas of the world and especially in in, in the u.s uh, mm-hmm. sorry in uh, europe led by germany i mean germany um, basically uh, enabled the solar industry for the rest of the world because they brought the cost of, of solar down by investing so much in it along with the Chinese. And so yeah. um, I just thought it was a, you know, it's, it's a, a global solution to our energy problems. Yeah. Like needs every source of energy that's viable, right? Yeah. There's no other way to do it. It's, a, so, it's an all of the above approach, right? Yeah, like. Yeah. Keeping in mind, uh, you know, second order effects with uh, atmospheric gas concentration and things like this, but understanding that energy demand continues to increase and we need every available energy source and it also needs to be diverse. I mean, you talk about geopolitics, you know, the physics of energy are already hard enough, right? And then you layer over geopolitics on top of that. And you brought up Germany. I mean, I think what we've seen in this this year has really opened up people's eyes that, hey, we need to have diverse energy systems. That way we're not relying on any one country or foreign entity. And so I think that, um, you know, all the bad that's happened over the last two years, hopefully silver lining is a little bit more sound um, energy policy and understanding that, hey, we all need to work together to power the world. And 
That was the whole thesis with Fuse. So, um, <laughs> yeah. Nice little pitch there. <laughs> <laughs> Cut that for Fuse 2023. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> What's the date? <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. If you haven't bought your ticket yet, yeah, exactly. you got one on the website. <laughs> so, yeah. But that's, um, you know, when we did Fuse, it's funny because when you're online, like on places like Twitter, it's so segregated. You have oil and gas Twitter, renewable Twitter, yeah. you have nuclear Twitter. And, you know, the renewable folks, they hate nuclear and, and oil and gas. But here in our office, here in Houston, like we see people that are on both sides all the time. Yeah. And it's yeah. actually the people that are doing shit that, that are, you know, open to, hey, oil and gas working with renewables yeah. and, and hydrogen and carbon I think, capture. I think as with everything, same with politics, I think the, the, the middle is so much larger and it is the majority. It's just that you got squeaky wheels on both sides and those are the ones that get the grease, right? Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So, you know, moving forward, one, I want to ask about clean energy services and, you know, this whole time, you know, you're funding oil and gas deals, you're funding renewable deals. It seemed like this, like, always seems like, you know, there's just ideas sitting there yeah. <laughs> in front of, yeah. it's like, why has no yeah. one done this? Yeah. Yeah. Did you have that? that that kind of epiphany with clean energy services yeah like- and with vc fuel i mean i mean i mean to me there was um such a uh future demand for uh investment in renewables right so so one one, one thing that happened um and a lot of people ask well you were doing well in oil and gas investing and and you were doing some renewable investing at the same time at, at blackhawk and morgan stanley you know why did you decide to do you know venture and company building in renewables and um, re- really, really, what happened is uh, when I, when when we started talking to our biggest investors about future funds we would raise, and the eye-opening moment to me was was um, regarding an asset that I that I had led the purchase of, um, and had turned around, and we made over a billion dollars in profit for our investors, but it was an oil and gas asset, and um, our investor base was global. Uh, the reaction I got, you know, in 2015, it would have been high fives, but this was um, a couple years later, and it was a very mixed. It was thanks for making us money, but we want you to do more renewables. And so I started thinking, wow, this, 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 this is I just made you a billion dollars. Can I get a little bit more of a thanks here? You know, <laughs> this is the reaction. This is where the world is going. And it's a, it was a very simple thing for me, and I didn't see as many people investing in renewables. So I said, I want to stay within energy. But I think there's a big opportunity here where there's a lot of investor demand and so a lot of ability to raise money to do things like you said that are obvious mm-hmm. within these. Now, now I, I, I almost don't want to say this because I don't want everyone who's listening to this to go start companies in these areas. But the if you name any big renewables area, they don't have a, design, a defined services sector or even a services leader. So, mm-hmm. so hydrogen. There are no electrolyzer services companies of any of any size. Offshore wind, there are none of every size. That's crazy. The renewables industry focuses on assets. That's yeah. it. And, and and grow them as fast as you can because of all these government incentives. And they don't think about the services, the technology, and the things that are gonna eventually enable these assets to to, to function. Yeah. Right? I see some movement on the software side, especially when it comes to uh, you know, distribution and load balancing and connecting all these assets, but you know, the boring businesses, the service businesses. I mean, look, I have friends that own some OFS companies that are filthy rich. Um, you know, <laughs> exactly. like, yeah, there's op- there's opportunity there. Exactly. And so, exactly. yeah, that's really wild to me that, you know, there's not just some uh, companies that have uh, taken over that space. And so that, that's what I kind of figured that you 
had that that epiphany. It's like, hey, this this idea is right right out here, and you know, it just it takes some capex. It takes building up a pipeline. Yeah. Um, you know, that's one thing OFS is dealing with right now is even uh, if we wanted to go out, take material and any capital constraints away. If you wanted to go drill twenty wells right now, there's labor shortages in OFS yeah. to have the personnel to run as many drilling rigs and frack spreads as you need. Yeah. And so it's always a, um, over there, it's a material and a personnel thing. Um, don't want to have to deal with the material um, supply chain aspect as much over in renewables. It'd be yeah. more of a personnel thing. But yeah. look, there's a lot of hardworking people out there that want good paying jobs. Yeah. And um, so that just takes time to build up that base. Let me ask you this. Why don't more people do this whole like venture studio model? Like we have a friend who does that and we thought it was a pretty like novel concept. Is it- I actually have two friends that yeah. do it. Is it, is it. is it the capital constraints? Is it just not, I don't know, people just don't, see the the ability just to start businesses from well, one, scratch like i'm just kind of curious about your experience uh, one theme that i see between ahmad and mark and yeah. jt is that they're all entrepreneurs that yeah they're built all companies yeah. previously and then yeah. they went so maybe yeah. there's just not enough entrepreneurs who are now in the kind of the investing game i think maybe. that's that, that was that was one of the things i was going to say the um and what we found as well even not just the person starting the company whether you know, it's me or someone else um it's the management team it's it's hard to find someone from a corporate background who at a certain point of their career can make the jump into a very entrepreneurial environment it's yeah. just hard yeah. because they they they're used to systems and processes and and you know it's, uh, not working past certain hours and things like that and so to us we always look for people who even if you fail that's great but at least try like fa yeah, failed entrepreneurs or yeah, exactly. whether fail or success. Exactly. Right? And, exactly. Yeah. And, and, and so, so, so I think that's the number one uh, impediment. The other, but the other big impediment is um, our, our investment industry is just or, organized into structures that evolved over time that people don't want to deviate from. So you have private equity funds, you have infrastructure funds, and you have venture funds. And those are the three major categories of funds now that are being raised in, uh, in, in the financial community. So it's much easier. The easy button is to to do venture capital, invest in other people, and try to make a return that way. And it's probably easier to raise money for that mm -hmm. than to say, "Hey, I'm going to start a platform from scratch, and we don't know whether it's going to work or not, but we really believe in this idea, and and we want you to to invest in you know into multiple of these." Yeah, right. That that takes a little bit more of a leap of faith, but I also think the upside is going to be much higher. Like the the VC industry is so well defined now that there's just a playbook on how, how to do it. It's very commoditized yeah. too. I mean, there's capital everywhere, right? Yeah. So um, we got a few minutes here before we wrap up the podcast. And so a couple things. One, remind me, there's a podcast that I need to go dig up from Noah Kagan that you should listen to because mm -hmm. his guest on there has bought and acquired 29 tech companies. And he talks about he can run three to five at a time. And he talks about how he goes and finds CEOs oh, in his network yeah. uh, to run these companies because that was going to lead up to a question of, you know, you're going to be a busy guy if uh, you're CEO of all these, <laughs> all these <laughs> ideas. Yeah. So how do you, how do you think about, uh, you know, when you start scaling these companies and, you know, taking yourself out and finding new management teams and CEOs? I mean, that's... You might have not even got to that point yet. Um, I don't know if you burned any brain cells on that yet, but how do you think about that? Well, I mean, first of all, you're right. It's 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 incredible amount of work, um, but it's so gratifying when it's your own you know business that you're building. And and 
frankly, like the job creation aspect to me is really, really exciting to see people go through our training programs and to, you know, make a lot more than they used to. And now they're you know, more technically proficient. But, but to answer your question, um, in all of the, uh, the, the platform companies, um, when, when, when I start them, I, I generally have a clear number two person mm-hmm. who might not be quite ready mm-hmm. to take over. Um, but has the talent, the skill, and we, we, and we, we have that person in CES. Yeah. And we have that person in another company we're starting. And yeah. so, so there's no way I'm going to be CEO of five companies at once, right? Yeah. <laughs> I, I may be chairman yeah. of five companies. Yeah. yeah. Um, so uh, it, 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 it's not doing ser- service to investors, and it's also um, untenable. So you need to, to, to have that talent that can rise within. Yeah. Um, and I'm, I'm a really strong believer in, uh, in having someone who can be kind of like a, uh, you bring in as, as a as a co-founder with the upside that hey look if this goes well you become ceo mm-hmm. right yeah and if not you go hire a ceo i love it so if someone's listening to this and they're interested in a couple of things you know potentially bringing an idea to you or going through a training program at uh, clean energy services and working with you guys how can they how can they find y'all what's the website yeah so uh just just uh so vcfuel.com is one of them it's very easy vc uh, the, the, <laughs> the letters and then fuel um and by the way everyone um i i misnamed the company because i, I wanted a short domain name and uh, everyone thinks it stands for venture capital fuel the vc part it's, it actually stands for if you go to the website for very clean fuel oh. <laughs> no, one, no one gets it yeah. Yeah. i can't retract I, mean, honestly, no. I thought it was venture yeah. capital fuel. Yeah, i'm sure yeah. you guys did too yeah, yeah. yeah. So, yeah. so so very clean fuel vcfuel.com and the and the, and, the other, and and ces is cesrenewables.com awesome all right so if you're listening we'll uh drop links into the show notes you can go check it out there reach out to Ahmad. um just amazing guy with a just huge depth of knowledge so we appreciate you one taking the time to come do this participating at fuse and hopefully uh you know we get to do this some some other time in the future appreciate oh, you coming my on. pleasure you guys this have been great fun. thank you awesome Absolutely. all right guys if you like this show guys and girls if you like this show please send it to a friend leave us a five-star review and we will catch you next episode come, 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 come.